together. Welcome to Pastor Mark here today. Celebration Church. Let's all stand together. Oh, put this back on my ear. It's on my shoulder. Any snakes around me? Good night. All right. Welcome to Celebration Church as we all calmly get ready to go into the next portion of our message. <laughs> uh, let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us. Good morning to our campuses over in Appleton and Stevens Point this morning, as well as those who watch us all over the world on the internet and those who watch us all over northern Wisconsin on television. Glad that you have joined uh, with us. We are in a series called The Significant Events of the Old Testament. Now, we just wrapped up Genesis. It took quite a while. <laughs> a lot of events in Genesis, everything from creation, and then we see how the world just got totally out of control after sin and how violent it became, and God sent the flood to reset the entire population because it was such a disaster. That was with Noah, <clears throat> and then how things came out of there, and then how God revealed himself to a guy named Abraham. And then he had a son, Isaac, had a son, Jacob. And God had promised these guys, um, you know, his blessing and that through all the world, uh, through their seed, the world would be blessed, which eventually happens in Jesus, the Messiah. So anyway, uh, Jacob, the last guy, has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel because God changes Jacob's name to Israel. Uh, the uh, second to the youngest one is named Joseph. And we just went through that whole story of how Joseph winds up into Egypt. That's how the whole family winds up into Egypt. When they all come in there, there's 70 of them. And the Bible says they start to increase greatly. <laughs> and that's an understatement. <laughs> they were breeding like rabbits. Uh, usually throughout the world, the world population doubles about every 150 years, whatever the number is. But uh, these guys were doubling every 15 years. They came in with 70 people. In 400 years, they had over 2 million people. That's a lot of folks. And uh, so the place is just growing like crazy. The Egyptians are freaking out because they're populating at such a dramatic rate that uh, the pharaoh starts commanding that every newborn boy that is born is supposed to be taken and thrown into the River Nile. Horrible, terrible thing. We don't know how many young boys were destroyed in such a way. But there was this young couple who gave birth to a boy, and of course she didn't want that to happen. She hid him as long as she could, but got to the point she couldn't hide him anymore, and she put him in a little basket and floated him in the river. And Pharaoh's daughter comes down, sees the baby, and takes it home kind of like a puppy. <laughs> Can I keep it? Can I keep it? 
So she takes the little baby. Moses is raised now, this is Moses, in Pharaoh's household. And then the next verse, boom, 40 years later. So it's like this dramatic thing. Now Hollywood likes to make all kinds of potential drama out of those 40 missing years. What was it like to grow up? They show him being buddies with the next Pharaoh. All of that's not true. Uh, they do a big dramatic thing about when finally they have to tell him that he's not an Egyptian. And in the movies, he's a, that's not true either. He undoubtedly knew who he was the entire time. Just because all the Jewish boys are circumcised uh, about eight days after their birth. Clearly, he was done the same way. It didn't take for him a long time to figure out he wasn't like all the other boys playing in the river. So they knew who he was. He knew who he was. We're going to find out. A little bit later, not only did he know who he was, he also knew who his family was. We don't have any of those details. We don't know the details. That's why Hollywood likes to make this dramatic thing of it. But I like to point out at times, sometimes people say, you know, the Bible is just a bunch of stories. If it's a bunch of stories, they're the worst storytellers on earth. Because they don't give you many details. It just gives you the facts. You know, we're all wondering, what happened all that time? And I think, ah, who cares? All that matters is this happens, and that happens, and there's these big jumps, and so we have to kind of Fill in the blanks. So anyway, Moses, 40 years of age now. Uh, again, he's raised in Pharaoh's household, so he certainly has a life of luxury and well-educated, all that kind of stuff. But he knows who he is. He knows the people. At some point, we don't know where or when, uh, he know, finds out who his family is, sister, brother, the whole day we'll find out he knew who his brother was in just a minute. But uh, So one day he's going along, and he sees one of the Egyptians beating the snot out of one of the Israelites. And he gets really mad because he wants to protect his people. And, and his, you know, he sees what's going on with the slavery. Again, it doesn't affect him because he's free, but they're not. He looks around. He goes and gets this Egyptian. He kills the guy and buries him in the sand thinking that's the end of him. Well, somebody saw him do it. <clears throat> the word gets out. Now Pharaoh is looking to arrest uh, Moses and kill him for what he did. So Moses now has to run for his life. So he runs now. He's out in the land of Midian, out in the middle of the desert. And, uh, and now he stays there. And then we pick up the story in uh, chapter 3. <clears throat> uh, it says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. These weren't Jewish people. These were, you know, these guys worship false gods. But this is the life that, not, it doesn't say that Moses did it, but he was raised, you know, lived the next bunch of years in this environment. In fact, it's 40 more years. By the time we get to here, he's now 80 years old. So there's a huge jump again now in time that we don't know any of the details. All we know is that, you know, he's out there and for the next 40 years, bah, bah, he's just taking care of sheep and goats. That's his life. And uh, undoubtedly not a very exciting life. And uh, uh, so this goes on. And it says here that he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness he came to Horeb, the mountain of God, which we'll eventually find out why that is. But There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Now, Moses saw that the bush was on fire, which is not unusual. Little fires can happen here and there. But what struck him is that it wasn't burning. It was just fire, and there's no smoke, and it just keeps burning. Nothing's being consumed. So he goes over, he says... I'll go over and see the strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. So he's coming, and it's probably a little creepy. <laughs> you know, what's going on over here? And then all of a sudden, from the bush, God calls 
to him and says, Moses, Moses. And I got to tell you, when a bush starts talking to you, <laughs> be a little freaky, right? <laughs> he says, here I am. And God says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He didn't know what all this was. He has a son now. He, understand, he wasn't raised in this typical Jewish household. And even if he had, their knowledge of God was very limited. When God appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, <clears throat> they didn't know much about God, and he didn't tell them much. All they knew was this voice of speaking to them, and, you know, follow the voice. And uh, that's why when God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, he went, okay. You know, he just, now, we know God would never do that, but they didn't know that. He didn't know that. They're, they're completely, God is getting ready. This is the big, massive center of the Old Testament major events where God gives them the Ten Commandments and starts revealing his character to them. But at this point, they don't really know much of anything. Moses doesn't know Jack, all right? As much as he knows is what he's heard of probably their history of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this bush is talking to him. says, I'm the God of these people. And then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the first indication that God is going to give them and get them out of there and give, bring them into this promised land. He says it's currently the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Just all kinds of ites there. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, remember, 40 years earlier, he's fighting for his people. This guy's picking on one of his people. He beats the snot out of this guy, kills him, buries him in the sand. He's got all this passion, this zeal. Gets him in trouble, so he's got to run. But now 40 years later, it's a whole different story. All the passion, all the zeal, all the intensity is gone. Why? Because for 40 years, he's been in the desert taking care of a bunch of bad goats. That's his life. And if you're not careful, life can suck the life out of you. Anybody experience that? All the troubles, trials, tribulations, things that didn't go right, things that went wrong, things you'd hope for, and pretty soon, it's easy to get discouraged. He's now 80 years old. This wasn't a virile young man. This is a geezer. <laughs> 80 years old. So far, the last 40, first 40 years of life was great. The last 40 just are awful. He has no confidence. He doesn't have any of this vigor that he had when he killed the Egyptian. God shows up to him and says, go, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. See, it's strange for us because this is Moses. We know what Moses becomes. He's this incredible leader, but not at this point. As far as he knew, he was a nothing. He was a nobody, in the middle of nothing and nowhere. So um, he says, uh, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, bring the Israelites out? And God said, I'll be with you, 
And this is the sign that uh, it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain, which eventually happens. Well, Moses says to God, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Isn't it interesting? He says, not the God of our fathers. I mean, he still kind of feels like he's on the outside looking in. The God of your fathers, I guess I'm part of that, has sent me. And they'll say, well, who is it? What's his name? What am I going to tell him? Because he doesn't know anything about God. All right? Moses is completely in the dark. And God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I, ha I am has sent me to you. So God is proclaiming his eternal presence. I am who I am. I supersede all time and space. We actually see this phrase used by Jesus in the New Testament. In fact, it is probably the strongest place in the New Testament where you see Jesus actually claiming that he is God in the flesh. We read about this in John, the eighth chapter. Now, Jesus in the temple has been speaking to the people. Then a bunch of these religious pinheads come to him and start drilling him. And Who are you? What are you talking about? How do you know what you're talking about? And he's talking to him about Abraham and stuff like that. And they're criticizing him. And Jesus says to them, he says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And we will see Abraham, or Moses actually starts to turn into a prophet. And he can see, and he sees this Messiah coming. And that's what he's talking about. He says, so he saw. And they said to him, you're not even 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham? Very, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. Boom, when they hear that, this is shocking to them. Because to say, I am, as, as your name, is to identify, I am God. Well, they didn't like this. It says they, at this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus walked away from him and stuff like that. So, I mean, it, this was rather strong and shocking, this identify, identifying himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I am. Well, in the chapter 4, this continues this conversation between Moses and God. Moses said, look, what, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? How's anybody going to believe this, he says. Well, then the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? A stick. <laughs> it's a big staff he's walking around with. And the Lord says, throw it on the ground. So Moses throws it on the ground and it turns into a snake. And he runs from it. I'll bet. <laughs> My stick turns into a snake. I'm getting out of the way. Ah, what is that? Things slithering around. You know, it could have been a bunny or something, right? <clears throat> so it's a snake. And the Lord said, well, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Now, it doesn't say how long it took for him to get the courage to do this. <laughs> but generally, one does not reach out and pet snakes. So he finally gets up and he grabs the snake by the tail. And then it turns back into a stick in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. This is just the beginning. God is about to do a series of powerful demonstrations of his power like the world had never seen and has never seen since. And we're going to find out why later. Sometimes we wonder, well, why God doesn't do this? Why didn't God just show up on CNN and say, hey, I'm God? You know, water? You know because it doesn't work. And we're going to see how it doesn't work. So anyway, this is just the beginning. And then God says to him, now reach your hand into your, uh, 
Uh, where am I? Da, 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 I'm so lost. Verse 6, okay. The Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So he puts it in his cloak. And then, uh, and then when he took it out, it was covered with leprosy, which was a dreaded disease back then. Everybody hated this thing. You talk about dying a miserable death. And he freaks out. Ah! Uh, and uh, so then he put it back in, and then it was restored back to normal. Pretty impressive, okay? So the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, then maybe they'll believe the second sign. So he said, these are signs that you're going to show them that this is God. And if they don't believe those two signs or listen to you, then take some water from the Nile, pour it on the ground, and the water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. All right, so he's, he's locked and loaded for these signs. So he's ready to go. How are they going to believe me? Snake, leprosy, water into blood. Whoa, not, this doesn't happen every day. So then Moses says to the Lord, look, I'm, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Pardon your servant. Listen, I've, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've been speaking to me. I'm slow of speech and tongue. I don't know how to talk. I don't know how to... So he's really resistant. He does not want to do this. This is a dramatically different man than 40 years ago. That's what can happen when life starts to beat and suck the life out of you. I don't know how to talk. And the Lord says to him, look, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. And Moses says, look, I'm, I'm really sorry. But, uh, you know, please, just send somebody else. Now, you've got to figure out the context here. This is almighty God, the creator of the universe. He says, let there be light and darkness, and boom, light comes on. He comes to this little pipsqueak of a man, <laughs> reveals him, does these miracles right in front of his face, and he still doesn't want to do it. And God's starting to get ticked, as you can well imagine. He's God. It says, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. He is really heating up. And God says, okay, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? Which Moses knew who Aaron was. He knew more about his family than we see in any of this stuff because all the details are left out. <clears throat> so anyway, I know he can speak well. He's quite the chatterbox. And he's already on his way to meet you because God has spoken to him to meet him on the way. All this is coming together. And he'll be glad to see you. So you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. So like when God speaks to a prophet, and then the prophet speaks. So Moses, Moses, if he wanted to say something, would whisper it into Aaron's ear, and then Aaron would talk. Okay. Now eventually, Moses starts to change rather dramatically. He does, in fact, become a very bold and strong leader and able to speak rather eloquently. Uh, the uh, book of, uh, what book is it? What's the last of the five? Deuteronomy. You know, there's, there's a book. All right. If you're having a hard time sleeping tonight, crack that thing open. All right. <clears throat> but that entire book is Moses' last speech. That's a long speech. Man, am I glad I wasn't for that one. <laughs> I can't stand a politician that talks for an hour. I'd be like, ah, you know, what are you saying? The whole, that whole book is him talking to the people. Apparently, he got the speech thing down rather well. And it took a whole thick deal to record everything he said 
on that day. But in the beginning, it wasn't like that. He was so insecure and so afraid. And, he, and his attitude was bad. He just didn't want to do it. He didn't want, to do, he didn't want anything to do with it. So the way it would work is God would tell Moses something. He'd go, and he'd talk to Aaron, and then Aaron would say something. So when you see these movies where Moses is coming in front of Pharaoh and says, let my people go, you know, that's not what was happening. Moses was like just standing there. And Pharaoh would say something, and he'd go, then Aaron would talk and say, who's the old man? Why doesn't he say anything, you know? Who's the guy with the stick, all right? So, so he just, he doesn't want to do it. You ever not want to do something? I feel you have to do it? How excited are you about doing it? That was Moses, all right? So anyway, so Moses took his wife and sons and put them on a donkey. Oh, bother. And he starts back to Egypt. And he's got the stick in his hand. And he just doesn't want to do this. Then here's a verse you almost never hear. And it says here, at a lodging place along the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. Why? Well, you parents will relate to this. You ever have a kid and you tell him to do something and all you get back is attitude. Yeah, rolling the eyes and the big size, <sighs> slamming doors, bam. You, you want to kill them. You see what I'm saying? So God at this point is just really hort. And he's God, okay, there's one thing for a parent. This is God Almighty. You don't diss God. This is bad for your health, all right? Others who've dissed God have never lived to talk about it. But God is putting up with this for Moses because he has a plan for Moses. So, obviously, he doesn't off the boy. Then Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. So he comes in and says, okay, this is what happened. Although Moses doesn't tell him. He says, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. How creepy is this? You got this old guy with a stick who God appears, but he doesn't say anything. And then his brother's got to say what he said. And I mean, he's not really an impressive individual at this point. So they don't believe him. And then so then Moses performs the signs. Well, that's impressive. The stick into a snake, leprosy, ah, no leprosy, you know, and, and blood, water into blood and stuff. So now they believe. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and he had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. Now, one thing is absolutely clear from this account. Moses did not want to do what God had asked him to do. And he had a lousy, stinking attitude about it. Now, we as parents tend to focus greatly on the attitude because it irritates us. But actually, I want you to consider something. And that is this. Don't get caught so much up in their attitude. In fact, sometimes it's one of the best things you can do is just ignore the attitudes. All that matters is that they do what you ask them to do, even if they do it with a lousy, stinking attitude. All right? Again, you want to strangle them, but that's not particularly helpful. And I get you need to teach them to want to do it. But, I know. but the real point here is, one of the problems about teaching them to want to do it 
and have a good attitude about doing it is you're teaching them that before they do something, they should want to do it. And that's a bad lesson. It really is. Because oftentimes doing the right things, nobody wants to do it. But we need to do it. So again, I'm not trying to mess with your parents' heads too much. I get it. I don't like the little disrespectful snots when they act up like that. But on the one hand, you need to blow it off, ignore it, and just, just keep That's okay, great, wonderful, just do it. I hate this. That's okay, just do it. Don't, because they need to learn. We need to do it. doesn't matter if we want to do it. Jesus talked about this in Matthew, the 21st chapter. He's giving you a parable. He says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. And he goes, no. <laughs> no, no. I hate your stupid vineyard. I don't want to go out there and picking things all day long and carrying around. My friends are having a good time. I can't go. I hate that stupid thing. I don't want to do it. But later, Jesus said, he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son. And said the same thing. Go work today in my vineyard. This guy said, yeah. Woohoo! I love the vineyard. Woohoo! And we're going to pick and we're going to have all this stuff. And we're going to, you know, just have a great time. Yes, dad, you can count on me. Great attitude, right? The kind your parents will go, no, why don't you act like your brother? He's excited about it. He wants to do it. Woohoo! But then he didn't do it. And Jesus answered, asked them the question, which of the two did what his father wanted? And they said the first. You see, the important thing isn't so much whether you want to do the right thing. The important thing is that you do it. Now, the reason I say this is because oftentimes a lot of what happens in Christianity are things you don't really want to do. I mean, a lot of times, you know, you don't want to read the Bible. Who wants to read the Bible? I want to watch TV. You know, I don't feel like praying. I don't want to pray. I don't want to do it. You ever fast? There's a party. <laughs> now, I was shocked because initially I thought fast means we, we get to eat fast. <laughs> you know, sounds great. Let's fast. I'll be the fastest one. Then I found out it means not eating at all. What? Many of the disciplines, volunteering in church. God, I don't, no, I don't want to. Why haven't a lot of you signed up for stuff? Because you, you, you don't want to. I, I know it's good and, and it's wonderful, but I don't, I don't want to. And we don't do it. And we drag our feet. I mean, a lot of these empty seats around you today, the main reason they're empty for one overwhelming reason. They, they didn't want to come to church today. It's like all these people watching us on TV right now, sitting in their underwear. <laughs> you guys think you're watching, you're not going to church. You're not going to church. Now it's great, if you can't go to church or you're sick or you're stuck at home, well, great, fabulous. I'm glad we can minister to you. Where are you slackers? Get out of bed, put on some clothes, go to church. I know I run into these people all the time. Pastor, we watch every Sunday. You ever come to church? No, not really. Are you slacker? Get out of bed. Go to church. But you know why you don't go to church? Uh, 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 
As long as you think you have to want to do something, before you do it, you'll be in a bad place. At the end of the day, we need to find out what the right thing is to do, and we need to do it. Whether you want to do it is irrelevant. Quit listening to your feelings. We live in a nation today obsessed with feelings. And the most horrible thing you can do in America today is hurt somebody's feelings. It used to be bad to punch them in the face. No, not that today. Worst thing you do is they say something they don't want to hear. And they melt. Ah, you're like, my wickedness, my beautiful wickedness. Ah, wicked witch of the West when water got thrown on her. Say something politically correct, incorrect. Ah! Ah! Yeah, I was just reading in the paper. People are really getting concerned today about some of the Halloween costumes because they could offend somebody. Really? I would think walking around with an axe in your head would be pretty offensive to about anybody. But you know, they, but not saying you might. You can't dress up like a certain type of person. Because that'll offend a certain type of people that don't want to be, you know, just on and on. They don't want kids wearing Donald Trump masks. Because it would upset the Democrats. <laughs> I mean, really? Who cares? Joe, it's a different world today. When we grew up, it was sticks and stones we were worried about. You remember? Sticks and stones might break my bones, but words, ha, 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 they'll never hurt me. Not today. Words, ah, 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 they melt away. Everybody's so sensitive about everything. Nobody wants to do anything they don't want to do. And they do things they shouldn't do. Because <laughs> they're all listening to all this. Listen to me. I know. Oftentimes, doing the right thing is the thing you don't want to do the most. It's true. But you want God to bless your life? You want to succeed in your life? Learn what the right thing is to do and just do it. Ignore your feelings. They'll be screaming at you. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't. Just ignore it. Do the right things. Teach your kids to do the right things, even when they got lousy, stinking, snotty attitudes. And you want to punch them in the face. Ignore them. Don't react to it. Teach them. You need to do it. doesn't matter how you feel about things. I guarantee you the most successful people in the world today are people who never listen to their feelings. The most successful people in school never listen to their feelings. You ever study? You feel like studying? Who feels like studying? Nobody feels like studying. Some of the best musicians in the world. We've got these great musicians up here. A lot of people say, I wish I could play like that. Yeah, but you can't because you didn't feel like practicing your piano lessons. You know, we all give up on something. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Kids, everything. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. At some point, we've got to shake that. And as I'm speaking this morning, a lot of you listening to me, you've never truly surrendered your life to God. You know why you haven't? I don't, I don't want to. What my friends think? What my parents think? Well, ah. at some point, if you're going to really get serious about life, you got to just find out the right thing to do and just do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. It is true, Lord, that our flesh, sinful flesh, often fights the right thing to do. But help us to learn as people of faith not to give so much consideration or hardly any consideration, quite frankly, to how we feel about it.
Help us to teach our kids to do things and do it to the best of their ability regardless of how they feel about it. Help us to be the kind of person, even if we say, I don't want to do it, we go do it, like the good son. Help us not to pretend to want to do something and then fool ourselves later and just never do it and say, oh, so I wanted to, I wanted to. But Help us to remember all that really matters is not what we feel, but what we do. Help people to step out in faith today, to receive you today. Even if their fears and stuff are screaming at them, don't do it, don't give your heart to Jesus. I pray, Lord, you help them just to surrender and surrender to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Now, we're going to halt it there because the holidays are upon us, hitting November and December. So we're going to turn our attention to those sorts of issues over the next two months. We will come back in January and pick up where we left off here when we start to see the most dramatic revelation of God the world has ever seen and what happens as a result. All right? God bless you guys.